Hey, what's up? This is Gloria, and this is Women's Only. These past couple of weeks, if you've been scrolling on social media or actually take the time out to read or watch the news, you'll notice that abortion is popping again. It's a trending conversation. Obviously, that conversation hasn't gone anywhere. It's always been controversial since it's tied to your personal beliefs about where life begins. But it seemed to subside with all of the White House craziness. Then Missouri, Alabama, and Louisiana said, we need some attention too. So before we can really get into the meat of the conversation, it's important to understand what the base is. You can't talk about abortion without talking about Roe versus Wade. But who really knows what happened during Roe versus Wade, what the actual ruling of the case was, and everything that's come after that? How we got our laws that we got today? Exactly. You don't know. So thankfully, you have me, and I'm about to break it down and give you the whole history So then moving forward, we can have a more informed conversation and really move towards a solution that allows women to govern their own bodies. Let's go ahead and get into it. Before the case, most states either had a severe restriction or a complete ban on abortion. Then you have the 1960s roll around. It brings in the sexual revolution and feminist movements that start to challenge these laws. Just to give you an idea of what the health climate was like at the time, specifically in 1965, Illegal abortions made up to one-sixth of all reported pregnancy-related deaths. The reason I point this out is because banning or restricting abortion isn't going to stop a woman from doing what she want to do. If she want to get that abortion, she's going to get that abortion. So we need to focus on making this option a safe option since it is a medical procedure. But let's get back on the case. In 1970, you had a woman by the name of Norma McCovey sued the Dallas County DA because she wanted to get an abortion, but was unable to do so. Texas laws at the time only permitted abortions to save a woman's life or in a case of rape and or incest. In the beginning, there are reports that say McCovey claimed that she was raped, but wasn't able to prove it. Now, we already know the history of sexual assault and rape against women has always been very dark. So for the purpose of this conversation, we're just going to go ahead and say we don't know. There's also some reports that she attempted to get an illegal abortion. Now, what really ends up happening is that by the time the case ends up going to trial in the district court, she ends up having a baby anyway and just gives it up for adoption. When Norma McCovey decides to sue the state, she hires two recent graduates from law school Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey. They're the ones who filed a claim for her against the Dallas County DA and used the alias Jane Roe. Obviously, this is why we know it as Roe versus Wade and not McCovey versus Wade. Roe argued that because her pregnancy didn't necessarily qualify to get an abortion and she couldn't afford to travel outside of the state, she felt like it should be a constitutional right for her to have access to a safe abortion procedure inside of her home state. Now, Wade, the DA, basically felt like if it's not on the Constitution, the state could say whatever they want to say about it, and they're going to be able to enforce whatever laws they put in place. The case was argued in the district court first, and they actually sided with Roe. However, they refrained from issuing an injunction to prevent the state from enforcing the law, so it left the matter unresolved. Wade ends up appealing it to the Supreme Court, 
And in December of 71, they argue it. And October of 72, they re-argue it. Why they took so long, I don't know. You know the court system, paperwork, all that. Unnecessary. Necessary, but unnecessary. They need to figure out how to speed that up. But regardless, so the justices who were um, on the Supreme Court at the time basically questioned why the state had any interest in regulating abortion. The two interests they found were in a woman's health and the idea of protecting the fetus. On January 22nd of 1973, they end up coming to a decision 7-2 that unduly restrictive state regulation of abortion is unconstitutional prior to the viability of the fetus. Now, when we say viability, basically what we're referring to is, is the fetus able to survive outside of the womb? Just to give you an idea, that normally happens around 24 to 28 weeks after conception. Keep that in mind with these six and eight week abortion bans. But they protect in a heartbeat though. But let's get back on the case. Justice Harry A. Blackman ends up writing the majority opinion. Now, he had his own personal investments into the case. Back in the 1950s, he actually worked at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, where he was researching the history of abortions. He felt like it was more so about protecting the rights of a doctor and their ability to practice medicine without state interference, as opposed to it being an issue about women's rights. Ultimately, the court didn't believe that the right to an abortion should be something that was decided on by the state. They felt like it was a constitutional violation of a woman's right to privacy. Now, this idea of a right to privacy was established in an earlier case, Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965. To give you some background, Connecticut had a law set in place in 1879 that criminalized birth control. Yeah, real crazy. Ain't no access to no birth control pills, no patches, no shots, none of that. I don't even know if they had it, but you ain't got it. So they had this law in place in 1879, and anyone who was found guilty would be fined at least $40 or imprisoned at least 60 days. Now, keep in mind, $40 back then ain't $40 right now. So, because I could blow $40 in like two minutes. I'm pretty sure $40 back then was a lot more. Y'all could figure out what the ratio actually is. But anyways, you would either be charged at least these $40 or put in prison at least 60 days. And anyone that helped you get access to this contraceptive, they would be charged like they were the ones taking it too. Or trying to buy it anyway. So your doctor, your pharmacist, whomever try to help you, they was going down. So the Supreme Court ends up ruling that this Connecticut state ban on contraceptive use violated the right to marital privacy and it shouldn't be enforced or it couldn't be enforced against married people. Now, I know you're probably like, wait, what? This was a law? I thought married people played a pullout game. You're supposed to use contraceptives when you're single. I think that's a conversation for another time, a whole nother topic. So for now, let's just focus back on the case. So in the court, they basically argue that there's a right to privacy that's established by a combination of different amendments. 
It includes the first, the third, the fifth, the ninth, and the 14th. This zone of privacy encompasses pregnancy. So that's how they're able to use it during Roe versus Wade. Aside from that, the court also felt like Texas was tripping when it came to their reasoning. They looked at it as Texas taking one view and putting it on everybody. And they felt like their abortion laws were mostly based off religious beliefs. And that wasn't justifiable enough to ban abortion across the state. However, they did tell them, look, you can't ban it, but you can make it a little harder. So they did allow them to create narrower laws. Okay, so you see the court is kind of playing both sides. They don't really agree with Roe's assertion that a woman has an absolute right to terminate a pregnancy in any way and at any time she sees fit. So they introduced what we know as the trimester rule to rationalize out abortion. And basically, what they say is that during the first trimester of pregnancy, the first three months, first 12 weeks, pregnancy is at the sole discretion of a woman. It's considered safe. And at the time, the fetus isn't viable. So the state ain't got no business trying to regulate abortion or do anything about abortion. Now, the second trimester, there's a little bit more leeway for the states because, again, remember, around that time is when the fetus does become viable. So the state has interest in protecting that fetus. They're able to regulate abortion, but they can't outlaw abortion. Now, the third trimester is where most of us agree that if you waited that long to have a baby or the babies that develop, you might as well just have it and give it up or figure out what's the best solution with the idea that you're still going to have it. So during the third trimester, the state is able to regulate and outlaw abortion. However, if they decide they want to outlaw it, there has to be a health clause for the woman. Basically, this means that if they're going to say, look, y'all can't have no abortions, there needs to be something that also says, but you can't have it if it's in a medical emergency and we need to save your life. Okay, so that's basically a good little summary about Roe versus Wade. Now we're going to get into all the other cases that try to challenge it and overturn it. In 1989, you have Webster versus Reproductive Health Services. This happened after Missouri enacted some legislation that restricted abortions. Yep, Missouri been up to no good. With this legislation, they declare that, one, life begins at conception and unborn children have protectable interests in life, health, and well-being. Basically, what they mean by this is that state laws have to provide unborn children the same right that a regular person would have. So basically what you're saying is that Missouri is more worried about giving people who aren't even here, aren't fully developed, can't even say their rights are being violated. They care about that, but they don't care about the people who do have rights and making sure that everybody got equal rights. Oh, okay. Now, the second thing they declare is that doctors need to perform a viability test on any woman who is 20 weeks pregnant or more. Again, remember, it's 24 to 28 weeks when it normally happens. But Missouri said, no, 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 no. We need to start early. So we're going to start checking at 20 weeks. And that goes for everybody. The third thing they enact with this legislation is that public employees and facilities are not to be used for abortion unless 
it's to save a mother's life. The last thing that they enact with this legislation is that it is unlawful to use public funds, employees, or facilities to encourage and counsel women to have an abortion. So you're not going to use my people. You're not going to use my places to get it. And we're also not going to even put no money into talking to you about it. So if you want to do that, go do that somewhere else. But it ain't going to be with our people, our time, or our time. Now, state-employed health professionals and private nonprofits who provided abortions, they was like, wait, hold up. You're not about to do this to us. So they end up suing the state. And a district court actually agrees with them. So it's taken to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court actually says, Missouri, you ain't do nothing wrong. What you passed is not unconstitutional. While the case was taken to trial, there's also an infamous picture of Roe holding up a pro-choice sign outside of the courthouse. When you look at the sign, it just says, keep abortion legal. So you probably looking like that Waka Flocka meme when he'd be like, okay, what this got to do with anything? Obviously, she supports abortion if she's the one that set the whole thing off. You'll see, however, sis takes a whole turn. Maybe a turn for the worse. Maybe she found the light. Either way, sis switches up on us. So we'll talk about that in a few. Now, 1992, this is a big one. You got Planned Parenthood of Southern Pennsylvania versus Katie. Pennsylvania got a little wild too. And in 1982, they passed the Abortion Control Act. This is what the requirements were. So it required informed consent and a 24-hour waiting period for the person who was getting an abortion. So they had to be made aware of everything that was going on, what the process entailed. Very, very thorough um, conversation led by the doctor. They also had to wait a full 24 hours. The second requirement was that any minor who was seeking an abortion needed consent from at least one parent unless it was otherwise authorized by the court. The third one was that any married woman who was seeking an abortion had to state that she actually notified her husband about the procedure prior to having it, except obviously if it was a medical emergency. And then the last requirement was that any clinics who provided abortion services needed to report themselves to the state. Planned Parenthood said not today. They filed a lawsuit against the state and it ends up going back all the way to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court ends up introducing a new standard. Does the regulation create an undue burden of the woman's right to an abortion before the fetus is viable? Under this new standard, it basically upholds everything that Pennsylvania put in place, except for the requirement of giving notification to your husband. Let me bring up Roe, Norma McCovey. This is when she gets on the other side. So in 1995, she ends up being converted to Christianity. Sis decides she's going to be the poster girl for abortion regret and a whole pro-life spokesperson. She even helps create a new Texas nonprofit. Guess what it was called? Row No More Ministry. It was what it sounded like. She was basically trying to undo everything she had did before. So then a couple of years later in 1998, she does a second switch up on the religion thing and she becomes a Catholic. Still pushing this pro-life rhetoric, 
but now she starts pushing these conspiracy theories about abortion providers. She starts making the claim that they're nothing but a money-making industry and all they do is prey on innocent women. Some men are probably like, see, I told you, women are indecisive. Like, how you just switch up on a decision like this? I don't want to hear that. Long story short, sis switched up on us and tried to undo everything she done created. She ain't undecisive. She just changed her mind and was going hard for her newfound beliefs. Okay, so then, boom. 2000, you got Sternberg versus Carhartt. This happened after Nebraska. Why? Why Nebraska? We wasn't even worried about you. Nebraska passed a law prohibiting any partial birth abortion. Unless, you guessed it, it was absolutely necessary to save a woman's life. Partial birth abortion. What is that? Well, partial birth abortion was defined as the procedure in which the doctor intentionally delivered a living unborn child vaginally for the purpose of performing an abortion. Now, guess what? It just so happens that this little definition for a partial birth abortion matches the description for abortion procedures that are used during the second trimester. These procedures specifically are known as dilation and extraction or DNX. And the other one is intact dilation and evacuation or DNE. I'm not going to talk about that too much yet. That's going to be on the next episode. So make sure you stay tuned. But I just want you to understand that these are the two specific procedures that they're tackling at this time. DNX and DNE. Not DMX. D and X and Danny. Now, anybody who performed these partial birth abortions were considered felons and their doctor's state license was automatically revoked. Leroy Kohar said, not on my time. He was a doctor who specialized in late term abortions and he sues the state saying, look, this law that y'all passed violates the constitution and places an undue burden on myself as well as my patients who are seeking an abortion. The district court, you know what? I'll give it to the district court because normally they be in agreement. So like before, they agree with Leroy. They was like, you right. This is not a thing and should not be a thing. The attorney general, Sternberg, appeals the decision, of course, because he could not be happy that he was defeated in the district court and ends up going to the Supreme Court and their rule as well look this partial birth abortion is unconstitutional now you probably like duh obviously but this is when you know the country decides to do whatever they gonna do and they start to get real wild and crazy and start drinking whatever water these other states are drinking what ends up happening is that congress folds they got so much criticism because of what happened in the Supreme Court and them saying that this partial birth abortion was unconstitutional. It riled up everybody, created all this scrutiny and criticism. So Congress said, you know what, just to make y'all happy, we gonna pass that thing anyway. We don't care if it was found unconstitutional. We gonna make sure this thing goes live into effect so y'all can shut up. In 2003, they passed the Partial Birth Abortion Act. So it's obviously very similar to Nebraska law 
But what they decide to do is that they include explicit factual findings from congressional hearings that suggest that both the DNX and DNE procedure are not more effective in preserving a woman's life in the case of, you know, a medical emergency where a woman had to get an abortion. So, mind you, everything else, and from the jump, we established that if you're going to ban an abortion, you got to have a clause for the help of a woman. They basically said, look, we don't need no clause. Because based off our research, it's not going to help her out anyway to survive. So, what's the point? Anyone who was charged with this crime would be fined and or imprisoned up to two years. Around the same time, you also got Roe coming back into the mix. And she goes ahead and files a motion with the U.S. District Court in Dallas and tries to overturn her case. Girl, wait. Leave it alone. <laughs> like, go on with your beliefs. Basically, sis tries to file the motion to have this thing overturned. And she tells them, look, I got some new evidence that says abortion hurts women. She includes a thousand affidavits from women who say they regretted their abortions. Luckily, the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, they said nah. So they dismissed her motion. Just like all the other cases, somebody had to say something. So Planned Parenthood sues Attorney General Alberto R. Gonzalez and argues that that 2003 Partial Birth Abortion Act is unconstitutional. Which, duh, we already established that. So the district court agrees. Shout out to them again. <laughs> um, but they agree and they actually stopped the act from going into effect in 2004 it's appealed to the Supreme Court and I don't know what they had going on but they voted that the ban was not unconstitutionally vague and it didn't impose an undue burden why? just why? <laughs> so this was declared in 2007 the most recent case trying to overturn Roe versus Wade happened just a couple of years ago. Back in 2013, Texas said, we can't miss out on the fun. We need to be in the controversial mix too. And they decided to pass a bill that contained provisions related to abortions. So they required that one, any doctor who was performing an abortion had to have admitting privileges to a hospital within 30 miles of wherever they were performing the abortion. The second requirement was that all abortion clinics had to comply with standards for an ambulatory surgical center. You probably like, wait, that sounds actually real good. Like this sounds like, you know, we really try to make sure that if they're having these procedures, these women could really be taken care of. They got a doctor that's on point. He got access to where he need to have access to. And the clinic itself is up to surgical standards. Wrong. What they were really trying to do with this bill is force close a lot of clinics. Had this gone into effect, it would have forced closed just about every clinic except about nine or ten, and they would have been left with the burden of serving over five million women. That's a perfect example of just because it sounds good don't mean it's good. Somebody stepped up, and the Center for Reproductive Rights files a lawsuit on behalf of a group of different abortion providers, and they argue that what this bill is going to do is create higher costs lengthier delays, and extra steps for women seeking an abortion. So, it's an undue burden. So, the district court switches up on us, and they decide, we're going to enforce this. 
But the Supreme Court says, nope, blocked. This is not going to go into effect while we're trying to review it. The good thing is that they basically find that these provisions in the bill do provide an undue burden, so they declare them unconstitutional. Woo! So I know that was a lot of information. You might have to go back, rewind a couple parts. You might need to Google a little bit, do some fact checks, whatever the case is. It's a lot, but it's very necessary for the importance of this conversation. On the next episode, I'm going to explore exactly what abortion is, the different procedures and what they entail. And I also want to spend some time covering illegal abortion, specifically coat hanger abortions, which we already know are very traumatizing and deadly for women. With this, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, listening to me. I hope that you learned a lot um, and at the very least shared this with somebody else. And of course, I hope you join me as we continue this conversation. Again, this is Gloria, and I'm signing off, women's only.